Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 99, Eugene II. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Hey everyone, let's pick up where we left off last episode. In fact, it might be better to do a full kind of overview of the pattern developing over the last couple of episodes because there's a new political religious alignment happening in the West and it's working its way out over several of the past few papacies. We know that as Byzantine influence waned in Italy, the popes looked less and less to the emperor in Constantinople for guidance and support. And this is a big change from previous episodes. We had tons of interaction with the East. They took up more of the political governance of the Italian peninsula, and soon, thanks to the donation of Pepin and Charlemagne, the Papal States encompassed much of central Italy. The papacy turned its allegiance to the new Frankish Holy Roman Emperors, but the relationship between the Holy Roman Emperor and the Pope, it takes some time to develop, and it's not necessarily going to be that fruitful. So what we've been doing is we've been seesawing between popes who had some tensions with the emperor and wanted more autonomy, particularly St. Leo III and St. Paschal I, and those who were more pro-Frank, like Stephen IV. And at the end of last episode, a militia which supported the pope murdered several pro-Frankish nobles, and though the pope swore an oath he wasn't involved, he also said that he didn't expressly condemn the murderers either. The clergy sided with the Pope while the nobles sided with the Franks, and they were outraged. And then, when the emperor's representatives were investigating it all, Pope St. Paschal I died. And so that's the scene for the current papal election, which with such a backdrop is bound to be contentious. It seems like that initially there were two camps. There were the nobles and their candidate and the clergy. But very early on, the Frankish camp gained the upper hand, even though the nobles had been expressly forbidden from participating in papal elections. And they elected the archpriest of the Basilica of Santa Sabina, a man named Eugene. His election was carried through in part because of the influence of a monk named Walla of Corby, who promised that any reform-minded pope would be accepted by the emperor. Eugene became Pope Eugene II, and he was consecrated on June 6, 824. He is described in the Leader Pontificalis as being simple and humble. And now this simple priest is kind of thrust into the big dispute between Frankish and Roman factions, a dispute which wasn't going to be resolved with his elections. So with that in mind, the emperor Louis the Pious sent his son Lothair to Rome to try and settle things with the Pope and the nobles and everyone else. Lothair worked with Eugene II to come to an agreement about the relationship between the Pope and the emperor, and the final document promulgated on November of 824 was called the Constitutio Romana. The Constitutio Romana established rules and regulations regarding the legal rights of the Frankish emperors and the popes within papal territory, and especially it outlined the procedures and canons for electing a pope, notably allowing the whole people of Rome a role, albeit the role is just to give an acclamation in support or against a candidate, and requiring approval of the Frankish emperor or his representative, which are called the missios, the uh, imperial representatives present there. Finally, the Constitutio required both the clergy and the pope an oath of office, one of obedience for the clergy to both pope and emperor. So what do we make of this document? It seems like the Franks wanted to preserve the integrity and the prominence of the pope, but at the same time, they wanted to play a greater role in making sure that papal administration was just and incorrupt. The Constitutio seems to have at the same time increased the power of the emperor and preserved the authority of the pope, 
at the expense of the secular aristocracy of Rome. The emperor could intervene more directly in the political realm of the papal states, but there is still some autonomy for the pope. And while this is all going on, a messenger from a different emperor arrived in France with a letter for Louis the Pious. The emperor, a man named Michael II, and it's going to be tough to keep track of all these Byzantine emperors. This one had murdered the previous emperor, Leo V, who had been his friend. So anyway, he wanted to settle the whole iconoclasm thing. Now, this had been definitively settled at the Second Council of Nicaea, but it had come back, and the popes had opposed it again. And Michael II wanted to have an intermediate position and asked Louis the Pious to join him in supporting it. So Louis wrote the Pope and asked him if he could get some experts together to study the issue. And Eugene agreed to the assembly provided Louis understand that the Pope was to have the final say in any doctrinal issues. So this group of bishops meets in Paris in 825, and they came up with a document which quoted the Church Fathers in support of the halfway position taken by Michael II. So they got together the meeting minutes, and they made a little form letter that they could, the Pope could then send to the Byzantine Emperor, and they sent those to Louis the Pious. But Louis the Pious did not send these documents to the Pope. They seemed to have been confusing and poorly put together. So instead, he sent two bishops to the Pope to try and convince him to buy into the compromise position. We don't have any records of any further action on this front. The Pope never changed the teachings of the Church in regards to sacred images, and there was no embassy sent to Constantinople validating this kind of compromise position. So it seems to have been kind of just quietly put aside. What else happened during Eugene's papacy? Well, Pope Eugene II, who had been the archpriest of Santa Sabina on the Aventine Hill, undertook a major renovation of that church, as most popes do with their favorite churches. He also held a synod in Rome to discuss church discipline, condemning the practices as such as simony, which is the buying and selling of church offices, and insisting that priests and bishops had to be sufficiently educated to hold their office. In fact, he decreed that if a bishop or priest was found not to be educated enough and lacked the knowledge to teach the faith, they had to suspend their office and go back to school until they had enough learning to continue. And this reforming spirit was quite characteristic of Pope Eugene, and it paralleled the efforts of the Holy Roman Emperor to try and reform the temporal administration of Rome. Pope Eugene II died in August of 827, and as far as we know, we don't have a specific record, was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. He was succeeded by the brief papacy of Pope Valentine, and we'll hear about him next episode. Thank you for listening to Habimus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com, or you can find us on iTunes. Thank you, and God bless you.